that God chases us down because uh, I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. And uh, praise God for that. That he pursued me and caught me and made me his child. Um, over the past several weeks, we have been looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be Jesus' disciple? And to, uh, to really follow Jesus. What's it mean to be a disciple? Well, what we said was that uh, if you boil down, if you look at all of Jesus' teaching, and he, he spoke about this constantly in the Gospel, about being his disciple, you boil it all down, there are three things involved in being Jesus' disciple. First of all, you have to follow Jesus. And we've spent the last few weeks talking about what that means. That it means that you need to have genuine faith in Jesus. That you need to love Jesus and obey Him. And that you need to be willing to suffer for Jesus. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do those things. And... The second thing, being a disciple, is not only following Jesus, it's being transformed by Jesus. So we're starting today, and for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what that means. And then in the last uh, part of this uh, series, we're going to talk about being on mission with Jesus. So a disciple is someone who follows Jesus, someone who's being transformed by Jesus, and someone who has joined Jesus' mission in the world. And if you want to be a disciple, you have to do all three of those things. One out of three is not, is not, going, to, it's not going to qualify you for the rewards and blessings of being Jesus' disciple. Uh, he expects all of us to do all three. And so we want to spend some time talking about what it means to be transformed by Jesus. Uh, and we're going to be in the book of Ephesians as uh, for a big chunk of this, uh, we're going to look at transformed life this week. Next week, we're going to look at transformed lips and livelihood. And we're also going to look at transformed relationships, transformed, um, uh, transformed jobs, transformed uh, relationship to uh, the spiritual realm. We're going to look at a whole bunch of stuff out of Ephesians. And then we're going to go to a couple other places and talk about your time and your treasure and, uh, and how you spend those. And then we're going to look at how to make disciples. So that's where we're headed. Uh, but today we want to jump into Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17 uh, down through verse 24. So let's, uh, let's read those verses together and then let's pray. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity." But that is not the way you learned Christ, 
assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have not left us in our sins. That You have not allowed us to destroy ourselves as we would if You left us in them. But You have snatched us out of sin and brought us into Your family. Through Your relentless pursuing love, You have chased us down and grabbed us from the fire that we might be Yours. And Father, we pray that we might experience the transformed life that Jesus has saved us to bring and that we might enjoy it in its all of its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever wondered why when people become Christians, God just doesn't, you know, just put them to death and take them to glory right then? You ever, you ever had that question in your mind? You know, why, why it is when we baptize people, we don't hold them under so they quit bubbling? Right? Why do we, why do we I mean, apart from the criminal liabilities and all of that, right? Um, why don't we do that? And it is because, I think a big part of the reason why is that God wants to reveal to the world the glories of, of redemption to people who still need it. He wants to put on display what He is doing in people's lives so that they can see that the Lord is good to all those who know Him and walk with Him. And that we can be, in a sense, you know, floor models or examples of God's grace and His redemptive power before a world that still needs redemption. Amen? And, and, and I think another reason that He leaves us here is because the process of being transformed by God's grace to look like Jesus actually helps us not to go to heaven, but to enjoy being there when we arrive. <laughs> okay? Because if you think about what, what, it, you know, what you were like as an unbeliever, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, why doesn't God save everybody? Well, then I want to ask this question. I want to say, well, you know, if somebody has, wants nothing to do with God in this life, and they want to do everything which is displeasing to Him and run away from Him as hard as they can, what exactly is it that you think they will do when they get there? If God were to take them to heaven, what would be enjoyable about being there for them? Because Jesus is the main event, amen? And if you're not into Jesus in this life, what makes you think that you would be in that one? It would be like it would be like saying, you know, it'd be like my wife saying, you know, would you like to go to the opera with me? No. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you know, 
Well, really, it's, it's great. It's enjoyable. You know, there's lots of uh, fat uh, uh, European women in helmets and singing in Italian. What about that would appeal to me, right? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, go, wouldn't go, you know, I tell you what, I, let me think about it. No, I think that sounds like a great idea. Let's go, right? There's nothing about that, that that speaks to my soul and says, I have to spend a lot of money, get dressed up and, and, and wear a suit and go do this. Right? There's no part of this that appeals to me. In the same way, to be an unbeliever is, is to be separated from God and to enjoy nothing about Him. And what God does when He saves us is begins to transform us into the kind of people who enjoy His presence. So that when we get to heaven, it is a joyful, wonderful, glorious experience for us. That we, that we get there and we say, this is it. I found my one true home. I finally got to the place and I'm with the person I have looked for my entire life. Amen? And so what God is doing is, is fitting us and shaping us for heaven. To be in His presence and to enjoy being there. And if you look at verse 17, um, you know Paul is, is giving the Ephesians uh, some commands. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians are all about what God has done for us. I'm not going to go back and study through all of those, uh, except to say this, that the book begins with God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he then gives us a list of what all of those are and all of the ways that God has acted on our behalf to bestow grace on us and to bring us into, his, into, into relationship with Him, and to make us His people. So for three chapters, you get that. And then in chapter 4 through 6, you get, okay, well, God having done that is also working to change your life, and change your relationships, and change the kind of person you are as a result of all that He has done for you in Christ. And so, um, so verse 17 is... is uh, part of the section that tells us, okay, well, now that God has done all these things for you, how do you then live? And he says, he underlines what he's about to say. He says, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul repeats himself a bit, he, but he wants to underline the seriousness of what he's saying. He's saying, now I say, and then they go, well, wait a minute, who are you? In the Lord. What Paul is doing there is underlining his apostolic authority. Let me give you just a little sermon in a sermon here, okay? Just as an aside. Everything in the Bible, everything in the Bible, including Leviticus, including Chronicles, including Paul's writing, including the Gospels, is all equally inspired by God. All of it. I heard, I heard this week there's a, there's a new group of um, supposed uh, evangelical Christians who are calling themselves red-letter Christians. 
And by that they mean, well, the Gospels, we really consider that to be Bible. The rest of this we're not sure about. Because, you know, Paul said some things that we really, in our contemporary culture, we're not down for. But what Paul is doing is saying to us and reminding us, look, God called me to be an apostle. He gave me authority to speak His Word. And so I'm, what I'm about to tell you is not just my own idea that I've invented that I, that I thought, you know, this would be some good advice. Right? No. He is speaking in the Lord on behalf of Christ to us in the church. Amen? And so what he's about to say carries all of the authority of Jesus as if Jesus were speaking to us personally because he is speaking to us personally by his spirit through the apostle. And he says, now, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Uh, In the Bible, your walk, the word walk is used frequently to describe your manner of life. So as an example, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, we get, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, a guy, if you want to be blessed by God, don't be the kind of person whose manner of life follows that of the advice of wicked people. Okay? And you get in if you if you if, if that's a that's a negative command, don't do that. But in first uh, John you get the similar you get similar language. First John chapter one verse seven, the apostle tells us if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. I think DC Talk did a song based on that verse number of years back, right? I want to be in the light as He is in the light. And here in verse, uh, verse 17, here chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul uses the word Gentiles to mean unbelievers. Paul is a Jew. And he says, when he says, don't live like a Gentile, he's not saying, you know, all you Frenchmen, knock it off. Okay. He's saying, he's saying, you Christians don't live like the pagan people among whom you used to live. Don't live like those people. Stop living like a non-Christian, in other words. And notice how Paul describes their manner of life. He calls it the futility of their thinking. It, their, their thinking is futile. And what he means, I think, is this, that, that a non-Christian lives his life in a way that he thinks or she thinks is right. And it seems good to them. And it seems logical to them. But the reality is about sin is that sin never keeps its promises. Amen? It never does. It promises joy and it delivers misery. It promises freedom and it delivers slavery. And it promises life and it delivers death. And, and 
And all over the world, non-Christians are living the life that, that seems right and good and logical to them, and they are experiencing destruction as a result. But guess what? They do not change the way they're living. They keep doing the same things over and over and over again, expecting to get a different outcome this time. I'll give you just one example of this, okay? Terry Bradshaw, uh, the great quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, now football commentator and uh, all-around class clown, right? Uh, I think he's on his fourth marriage at this point, right? To be a non-Christian getting continually remarried is to experience the triumph of hope over experience, Right? Because over and over and over again, he thinks, well, this time it's going to work. Probably not. Because guess what, Terry? You're still the same sorry sinner that you were before on the previous three trips. Right? That's futility in your thinking. That's not to pick on him. That's just to give an example of somebody who continues in the futility of his thinking. That well, it didn't work the last time, but I'm going to try it again. My sin didn't make me happy last time, but surely this time it'll be joyful. My sin brought destruction into my life last time, but we'll give it one more try and see what happens. Maybe we'll get a different outcome. And as you continue in sin as a Gentile, as a non-Christian, that kind of life just spirals down further. And you can see it in the text here. Verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding. Guys, my mic seems really hot. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Their understanding is darkened. In other words, when you are a non-Christian, there are lots of things that don't make sense to you and that you cannot understand. That the effects of sin are, are not just physical and spiritual, they're also mental. And you become darkened in what seems like a wise and good and true and upright way of living. And what is righteous and good and holy and true seems stupid to you. Anybody ever have some non-Christian friends that, that, that see the way you live your life and, he, and hear about the choices that you've made and go, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I've had that experience. They go, how can you? Oh, that's dumb. Why would you do that? And then you look at them and you say the same thing back, right? No, no, the way I'm living is wise. The way you're living is dumb, right? And the reason they think that is because they're darkened in their understanding. And they're alienated from God's life. They have, their sin has caused a separation between them and God. And the more you sin, the wider the separation gets. And, and it makes you, over time ignorant and hard 
They get calloused, actually, to the things of God. And His voice and His Word and their conscience don't speak to them or bother them anymore. They become hardened to the things of God. And then, it says, they become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, the word impurity there, kind of a, a junk drawer word, if you will. It encompasses a wide variety of sin. A wide variety of stuff. And basically what it is, is that eventually if you live in sin long enough, you just decide this is the right way. And, and I'm just going to walk in this. And, uh, and in fact, I'm going to accelerate what I'm doing. And I'm going to, uh, if that doesn't satisfy, I'm going to find a, another version of it. And maybe that will. Let me give you just an example of this. I read an article from the New York Times this week. Uh, it was a divorced woman writing in about how she had um, carried on uh, through a dating app, a whole bunch of relationships, uh, illicit relationships with married men, because she found it easier to have no strings attached connection with them, because they had so much to lose because they were married. And she writes this long article about all of her experiences and how how wonderful this was for her and for the men. And really what we need to do as a society is just get a lot less judgmental about this kind of thing. Because after all, who really can be monogamous for a lifetime? New York Times this week. This is a woman who has given herself over to sensuality and who now defends every kind of impurity you can imagine with a desire for more. That's what happens to people who live in sin. Is they not only get further and further and further into it, they start defending it as a positive good thing because they have lost their ability through their sinfulness and their rejection of God to even tell that what they're doing is wrong anymore. And because sin is sin, what used to be enjoyable isn't after a while, and so you have to do more. You have to go further. You have to keep going. Let me ask you a question. Does it sound right or biblical to you that if only our society were more understanding of sin, that would eliminate all the problems with it? Doesn't sound right to me either. There is nothing about being a Christ follower that says, well, you know what, the problem with sin is that, is that we just all have the wrong attitude toward it. Sin is, in fact, deadly. And the downward spiral of sin is just like this. It destroys people so totally that they don't even realize 
that they are committing slow-motion suicide as they do it. That is what they're doing. Now that's the unbeliever, and Paul says we are not to live like that. We are not to get hardened and calloused in our sin and be alienated from God and to just keep pursuing it as if, as if God has said nothing about it. That's not what we're to do. Instead, there's a big, uh, big contrast, verse 20. You want to circle that word that begins verse 20, but. Because that word indicates to us there is a stark contrast, a complete shift from what it means to be an unbeliever to what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. In other words, this is not, we do not engage in a descent into sin away from Christ. Instead, we are engaged in an ascent towards Christ by obedience. And, and look at that phrase. That little phrase, learned Christ, is really interesting. It's the only time that little, those two words appear in the entire Bible or anywhere else in Greek literature that you learn a person. But the idea is, 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 it's unique to this passage, but the idea is, is that Jesus is both the content and the goal of our instruction in the Word. He's the, he's the content of what we learn, that all the things that we are trying to learn uh, are about and directed to Jesus. That Jesus is the whole thing. That the, that the purpose and the goal and the content of our life as Christians is to look and become like Jesus. That we learn to be Him in all that we are and all that we do. We are striving to be like Him. We learn Christ when we welcome Him into our lives and when we allow ourselves in submission to Him to be shaped by His teaching from our hearts and in our minds. And verse 21 is kind of interesting. He is saying, he's saying kind of like you would with maybe your kids, you know. I didn't tell you to do that, did I? Right? And the assumed answer is, well, no, of course not. I wouldn't tell you to do that, right? Or, but what Paul is doing here is he's saying, assuming that you did learn about Jesus, which you did, right? <laughs> and he's assuming they're going to say, well, yeah, of course. And you've learned that the truth is in Jesus. And because the truth is in Jesus, you're supposed to live in light of what Jesus has made us to be. And doing that, according to the Scripture here, has two aspects. Following Jesus, learning Christ, putting on the character of Christ has two sides. There's a forsaking and there's a filling. A putting off and a putting on. A a getting rid of and an adopting. Put off this. Uh, we put off the old self. You put off your old way of living. When you come in from working out, how many of you like to go to the gym and work out? Okay. A few of you. All right. Um, go to the gym and work out. It's good for you. 
All right? But when you come in from working out, if, you, if you've been there a while, you're sweaty, you got serious BO, right? You're wet, you're nasty, right? thing I like to do is come in and give Karen a big hug right then. <laughs> She's always like, you're gross. You smell. I'm like, I know. <laughs> She's like, go take that off. Go shower. Get rid of that funk, right? Um, and that's the idea that, that all of your old life, all of your old self, everything that you used to be before you met Jesus needs to be stripped off. Needs to be taken off like funky gym clothes. Get rid of all of that. Don't continue wearing it around the house and sitting on the furniture in it, right? Get that off. Because it is defiled. It's corrupted. Only it's not your clothes. It's your heart. And it's your manner of living. It's corrupted and defiled by sinfulness and sinful desires. And so there's to be a fundamental break. If you're a disciple of Jesus, there's to be a fundamental break with your old life. That doesn't necessarily mean you get rid of all of your old friends, although it might in some cases, in order for you to walk with Jesus. If they can't, if it becomes too hard for you to walk with Jesus and walk with them at the same time, you might need to get new, some, some new friends. At least until you are mature enough to have friends that don't influence you the wrong way. But all of the things that you used to do, all of the person that you used to be, it needs to be put to death and stripped away. Like funky, nasty gym clothes. Get rid of that. And as you put, as you put that off, there needs to be something you're putting in. There's not just a forsaking of sin, but also a replacement of it with Christ and His life. Forsake sin and fill your life with Christ. And verse 23 and 24 tell us about that. He says, talks about putting on the new self, which is created, oh, first of all, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. First, you experience the renewal of your mind and then you put on the new self. And here's what happens. When you become a Christian by God's grace through faith in Jesus, then what he begins to do is to renew your mind. Your, your mind as an unbeliever was darkened and defiled and corrupted and filled with sin. And Jesus starts renovating, right? Anybody like to watch those shows on HGTV? Right? I like to watch them. They get some dump and they totally transform it and you, you live for like the last five minutes of the show when they take you back around and show you what they did and you're like, oh, that is so cool! Honey, let's get us a Home Depot card, right? And, <laughs> you know... And you want to redo something because you see the redemption of what was dumpy into something glorious, right? And, and in a sense, 
what happens when you become a Christian is that, is that God sends His Holy Spirit into your life and He has demo day. And He starts tearing down all of the old stuff that was part of your life and begins renovating your mind. And the words, the spirit of your mind, if you look at the text here, renewed in the spirit of your minds, it isn't a description of the Holy Spirit, it's a description of your spirit, the innermost part of you. That's what the Holy Spirit starts working on. Is He gets down in the nitty gritty of the person of who you are and begins there reshaping that innermost part of you. He starts working to transform your innermost parts and transform your thinking and your mind. Because, men and women, you know why we do what we do? It's because we think what we think. We do what we do because we think what we think. And what we really believe and what we really think comes out in the way we live our lives, right? I'll give you an example. I understand intellectually that a different kind of diet than the one I have been eating will yield different results in my physical body. Right? But what do I really believe? That donuts are good. <laughs> All right? And what I really believe comes out. Amen? It comes out. And in order for that, for what is coming out of my life to change, you have to change what's inside the thinking of the person. Amen? And so that's where the Holy Spirit begins. He renews the mind first, and then the behavior grows out of that. He starts from the heart outward. Because that's where the change happens. He begins to change the pattern of the things that you think about from sin to holiness. He begins to change the direction of your thoughts from inward toward me to outward toward God and other people. He begins to change the motivations and the reasons why you do things from the strokes that you get from other people's approval to seeking the approval of God for what you have, are doing and how you live your life. And you begin to move from selfishness to love. And as that happens, you are putting on the new self. And the new self is not like the old self. The new self is spiraling upward rather than downward into sin. The new self is, is created, according to the Scriptures, created to be like God. Peter says that, that as we become believers in Christ, we become, I love this phrase, partakers of the divine nature. That God is, in a sense, putting His character, His nature in us. And we are participating in it as He works to transform us from the heart 
out. And we get the image of God has been, has been defaced, not erased, but defaced in us by our sin, and God begins restoring it and renovating it so that we begin to reflect His image once more. And we begin to take on true righteousness and holiness. We start to become what God has already declared us to be, which is saints. Amen? God says at the moment you have believed in Christ, you are a saint. And then the Spirit begins to work to make you what He has declared you to be. An amazing thing. He transforms us to look like God. This is not white knuckling your way to glory. I'm just going to try really hard and work really, <clears throat> just going to work at it. And when I fail a bunch, which I'm going to, uh, I'm just going to just try harder and, and work faster and longer. No. It's progressively yielding your life and every time the Spirit says to you, okay, here's an area we need to work on. You know, praise God. He, he, you know, when He begins renovating your life, He doesn't, he doesn't just, just knock everything down to the foundation and just go, okay, we're going to start over from here, right? He, what He does... As he starts working in one area of your life at a time. Like, okay, well, today we're going to fix the bathroom. We're going to start pulling out drywall. We're going to redo wiring. We're going to put in new fixtures. We're going to get the floor level. Put in new tile. You understand what I'm saying? And then when, you, when he, as he's worked in there for a while, then he moves to another area of your life. And, 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 and praise God that He doesn't show you all your sin all at once. It would be a horrifying thing. You'd be so hopeless and depressed, right? So discouraged and beat down. God doesn't work like that. He just starts from the inside and He starts working His way out as you continue to submit to Him. Now, let me tell you two things here as we close. Number one, and this is very important. If you are sitting here today and you have no idea what i'm talking about this all sounds like me speaking in german for all the sense it makes understand this you will never you will never experience a transformed life unless you first meet jesus To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in sequence these things that being a disciple of Jesus means. You have to first follow Jesus. You can't get transformation without deciding first to follow. And here's what that means. It means that to begin with, you're going to have to put your trust in Jesus. You're going to have to transfer your allegiance from yourself and trying to be good, and whatever other method you think is going to make you right with God. Maybe it's just, well, I hope he kind of grades on the curve because I've been a pretty good person. That's not the way. This is the way. And you have to walk in it. 
Jesus said, put your trust in me. Put your trust in me. That when Jesus died on the cross, He died for your sins personally. And then He was three days later raised from the dead to prove that His payment that He made for your sin was acceptable to God. And He ascended into heaven where He intercedes for you if you have put your trust in Him. He mediates between you and God and allows you to come into heaven through His sacrifice on your behalf. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then He begins to work and to transform. The transformation does not precede the faith in Christ. Believe that He died on the cross for you and was raised from the dead to give you new life. Receive that new life and then the transformation begins. Amen? Alright. Your life does not have to spiral down anymore. You can have new life through faith in Christ. Now, if, on the other hand, you are a person who has already believed in Christ, then there's so much encouragement in this passage that renovation has begun. Demo day already happened. He started knocking down walls and moving stuff around and rewiring, right? Um, and because of that, we have, first of all, much for which to praise God that I am not the person that I used to be. And I'm not yet who I will be one day. And I'm not who I want to be today. But praise God, I'm not who I was either. Not who I was. Renovation day has has come. And it's continuing. And He's still transforming. So here's my challenge to you though. If, as I've been speaking to you, the Holy Spirit has brought to mind an area where He wants to start some new renovations, what are you going to do with that? You've got two choices. You can ignore His voice, which is foolish, but you can do it. See, Christians do it all the time. And ignore his voice, or you can submit to it. If you ignore his voice, you're going to start to experience some of the destruction that sin brings into your life. But if you repent and turn to the Lord and say, you know what? You're right. This is ugly. And we got to get it fixed. Would you help me by? your power, Father, to bring this into conformity with Christ. He will do that. And that's not only wise, it's also the blessed choice. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we praise You and we thank You that by Your Holy Spirit, when we trust You, when we come to faith in Jesus in a real way, that You begin renovating us by Your Holy Spirit, making us people who look like Jesus. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never put their trust in Jesus, never experienced the new life and the change that happens as a result, that today would be the day of salvation for them. That they might come into Your kingdom 
and with great joy began to put off the old life and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Father, for we who are Your people, I pray that where You speak to us, we would listen and we would obey. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.